Well, last week uh, we had a little bit more um, of a storm here in Austin. So uh, appreciate Matt. You you kind of saved us there. You had a nice little interview with Craig. I was uh, I know yeah. again back with no power and uh, no way to communicate with the outside world for a few days. So one of the <laughs> wait, things wait. no um, way to communicate. I was well, like it was nonstop, it was, nonstop on Twitter and and, and it's true. Uh, it was uh, I did uh, to uh, commiserate. Slack. I created a Slack channel in the uh, software defined talk slack it was uh austin ice storm whatever and uh, just, which... i even just kind of said it was like it was for anyone stuck in austin or anyone that just wanted to complain about the weather and it was like this is where i am now i'm like you know what not only am i doing it i'm creating slack channels to do it it was very lively it was great i think you were in there matt you you sort of commiserated <laughs> a little bit about i think uh, i think i was reminding people that uh i was headed to the beach yeah you're going to the beach but you do have some property here still and of course you yes. uh Clearly, made I, it clear I paid that my that was my four hundred dollars to get get some trees cleared. So yeah, yeah. Oh, geez, that's like you, you're you're already ahead of the game. So, uh, but I know uh, you know weather's becoming a huge shock because I know you and Craig. It was like you had some kind of monsoon rainstorms down there, right? So and you guys covered that. That's yeah, um, but you know this uh, every time this happens, I feel like we learn. I get to learn something new, and so of course, uh, you know, any long power outage, at least in my house, my wife is very um, diligent about. Uh, once things, once the refrigerator has reached some point in her mind, once it's like, you know, I don't know, I don't even know exactly what the measurement is, like an hour, minutes. like yeah. a day, two days. She's like, everything has to go. It's like, just everything is out. And it's like, okay. I mean, I've always feel like she's a little aggressive on it, but it's like, what, what am I going to do? It's like, it's not, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to toy with food poisoning. Right. That's her. Hence, that's what she's, uh, she told me. So one of the things we were throwing out eggs, we we're throwing out eggs. And I was like, wait a minute. Cote uh, always tells me, and uh, all the people in Europe are always talking about how crazy it is Americans uh, refrigerate eggs. I was like, I think the eggs are going to be fine. She's like, no. She's like, the eggs have to go. I was like, okay, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure the whole continent of Europe is, they, they <laughs> laugh at us. They're like, it's fine. And so now I want to bring, the, I want to ask you a couple questions. We're yeah. going to use, use the, uh, the person here. I was like, one, do you know why we refrigerate eggs and then two do you i guess can you explain the egg etiquette in uh, australia to everyone what do you do with eggs down there right right well so my my understanding of it is and and this is you know australia is weird because it's it's european and american at the same time it's like they take stuff from one place and stuff from the other so um some places don't refrigerate eggs here most do the big grocery stores do and my understanding of the rationale back when I lived in America was like there's salmonella all over everything. We got to like rinse them off with, you know, soap and water or something. And so uh, <clears throat> the disinfectant like means the eggs have to get refrigerated. Something like all that. All right. You're, you're pretty close there. Okay. So you and I are in what I'm going to call, we're in the refrigerate eggs part of the world. So yes. it says in this one article on the internet, which I'm sure can't, can't be wrong on this, right? It says can't be the wrong. U.S., Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and the odd one here is parts of Scandinavia. I don't know. It seems weird. It seems like Scandinavia. It's like it's well, they just leave European. stuff outside. I, yeah, I just I don't get. It. I don't <laughs> understand the Scandinavia side, nor the fact of the fact that they just say Scandinavia. It's like that sort of doesn't really narrow it down. There's still a lot of no. geography there, but at least the U.S., Japan, Australia, New Zealand, which I found surprising because I feel like Australia mostly leans English, right? Like they're mostly yeah, mostly and so the the fact that you've. Uh, been uh you're part of the refrigerated egg uh consortium Sub, subculture subculture i guess yeah whatever you call it uh shocks me but nonetheless you are 
And the fact that, and then that you just enlighten us that even in Australia, there's like different competing thoughts, which I think is funny in itself. That that's probably the most Australian thing is like, well, turns out there's both, but here's what I learned is that, okay. In the U S just like you said, uh, to pre- prevent disease, the U S Japan, Australia, New Zealand, I have chosen to wash all the eggs. And so when you wash off, wash the eggs, you wash off the cuticle, right? And this cuticle, like if you will, this little um, barrier around eggs, once you wash it off, the egg is, if you will, less uh, able to protect itself. So when you do that, they must be refrigerated at that point. And then refrigerated eggs can be um, yeah, good for up to 45 days. So that's the- I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that, right? that part of like, egg- that sounds like a win. Like, that's right. That's the refrigerated egg coalition that we are a part of that I didn't even know existed till recently. Now, if you are, uh, f- let's just call it free range, I guess, free range egg. You're just like, you don't believe in it. You're in Europe. And there, you, because you don't wash them, you let that cuticle sit there. Those eggs are good for 30 days. And I guess, you know, I don't know. I'll we'll have to ask Cote, where, where do they store their eggs? Like, do you think they store them They're on top on of the refrigerator or just in a shelf? Oh, oh like where do the, you store them? Like, you just put them in your pantry? Store. Like, it seems like that could be... You know, next to your high traffic. Yeah, I, I'd be worried about breaking the eggs in the pantry. I feel like that that would be a potential. Like you'd still yeah. want a separate area, I think, for the eggs. Yeah, next to the butter on the shelf. <laughs> Even better. All right, so I guess we're going to leave it to the listeners here. Um, so I guess we're uh, because of where we live, we're we're pro refrigeration just by definition, Matt. We just oh, we sure. just have to be. We're going to go yeah. with that. But I would like to invite the listeners uh, of Europe and I guess anywhere else where you don't <laughs> actually uh, refrigerate yourself. your eggs. I'd like you to to email in or join us in the but, Slack and tell us where do you actually store the eggs? Is it the pantry or is there uh, like a the equivalent of a bread box or something else? Because this is an important an egg box. Uh, an egg box, yeah, if you will. Like, and of course, the question is like. Do you put all your eggs in one basket? This episode is sponsored by The New Stack. Looking for more conversations about software development, deployment, and management? Subscribe to The New Stack Makers podcast right now. Hosts include The New Stack's founder, Alex Williams, and other veteran journalists with a history of covering enterprise technology. Be sure to check out The New Stack Makers podcast soon to catch season two of the Tech Founder Odyssey series. The series talks to founders with a software engineering background who share their stories about how they got started, what their entrepreneurial journey has been like, and how they've managed the obstacles along the way. Full video versions of each episode and more great content is available on the Newstacks YouTube channel. And you can visit thenewstack.io for all the latest news and analysis that make life easier for people who build and manage software. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the Newstack Makers right now. And of course, we thank the Newstack for sponsoring our show. Well, cloud earnings season has uh, come and gone. And so, Matt, uh, either the sky is falling or uh, private clouds are returning. That seems to be the, the headlines. <laughs> so I will break down the quick news, though, as uh, the big three, AWS, GCP, and uh, Microsoft Azure, all r- reported earnings. And they all essentially are growing a little bit uh, less fast or slower, if you, if you will. Yeah. So let's just give the quick numbers. AWS now is at an $86 billion run rate, growing at 20% year over year. Azure is in uh, the mid fifties. Of course, we always know Azure is like the weird one because we're like, what is what? What's word? What are they counting in there? But around yeah. let's say fifty billion, and they're growing at thirty eight percent year over year. And then uh, Google Cloud GCP is, which also includes G Suite, another little weird one, is at about a twenty nine billion dollar run weight rate and growing thirty two percent. So 
you know, I think in our, our uh, end of year or wrap up, we talked a little bit about this, like, you know, what's going on? How's it going to go? And I think, you know, I, I like to make fun of it. You know, it's like, quote unquote, early innings. It's always early innings. But I think we can now say maybe, maybe we can say we're like mid innings now. So I did the quick math here tells us that roughly the big three our annual run rate is around 170 billion and growing somewhere, you know, say mid 20% to 30%, depending on how you want to like, you know, factor in all the different growth rates. So to me, I, again, I kind of feel like normal course and speed on this. Like, I don't like, it doesn't shock me that the run rates or the growth rates are coming down a little bit as the numbers get huge. Yeah. I still the think we're on, um, yeah. you know, the path, like I, I've kind of thrown out there, like, I think there's the path to like 1 trillion, like, you know, over the next decade or so, Maybe these companies are going to get to, you know, if we add well, them all just, up. You just keep extrapolating those numbers and, you know, yeah, eventually and you, you get just, there, right? Yeah, and eventually get there. And I think it is. It's just one of these things. It, it'll go a little bit slower. Um, and, of course, we had, you know, many, many things written about the pandemic, pulling forward, slower cloud adoption. But, like, I just, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like it's it, uh, all the articles pretty much are just sort of like i don't know they don't really say anything it's just like yeah it's getting still growing very healthy it's very strong businesses not as healthy or not as strong as it once was but it seemed kind of inevitable so um so my question to you though i think and i think all the articles uh mentioned something to the effect of companies looking to uh, rein in their cloud spending so so i would like to know uh did you see this coming because you seem like an absolute genius for joining a, uh, a, a FinOps. Let's, I'm just going to put you broadly in the FinOps category. I know you're, you're focused in on Kubernetes costs, but like, uh, did you see this company coming? And uh, is this, was this your motivation for joining a FinOps company? <laughs> um, yes. I, I'd like to, I'd like to report that I am some sort of uh, um, career genius, but uh, no, I mean, I, I, I hadn't done this kind of stuff before and uh, it seemed interesting. Uh, it's always been relevant, but it just happens to be uh, exceptionally relevant today. And so, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that worked out really well. Um, I'm quite happy at, uh, at uh, KubeCross. Thank you very much. But, um, but no, I mean, everyone kind of saw that these numbers were going to continue to, you know, nudge down. You can't, you can't grow. I mean, you know, you can't grow like super huge numbers uh, and continue to increase them and decreasing kind of just is going to happen. But I don't think, uh, you know, and and they've reported all the different headwinds, you know, like you mentioned, you know, COVID and manufacturing and, you know, back to work and all all sorts of uh, recessionary headwinds and all that stuff. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, I still think there's inevitability to the cloud. And, um, you know, I, I feel like uh, these are fairly safe bets that these companies are going to continue to grow. You know, there'll be a little bit of a horse race, but it's, it's weird to call this, you know, the second inning or the fourth inning or whatever. It's like, this is not a, there's, the game is not going to be over at nine innings, right? This game is, is this, this is the future. Like, we're going to be reporting back in like, you know, 2062 when we're like, well, we've entered inning 271 of the game and, you know. No, this isn't baseball. Yeah, you know, this is this is the long haul, um, and you know I feel bad for uh, all those enterprise companies who are out of the game already because this is the game. Yeah, and I guess to that point, I mean, I think the other thing that kind of came out in this earnings season was uh, IBM. I, I think announced that Red Hat OpenShift 
is you know something making like around a billion dollars you know annual run rate so yeah that's know. awesome you, you can read the the financial disclosure there and it's like i don't know there's a little i don't know if that's exactly right but that was sort of the talking point so like maybe someone else can dig into exactly what they make and so i think you know to your point about it, it's like it is good but and i think that's great for ibm and it's you know a good story and i think it certainly supports the the red hat acquisition but you know, taken isolation, it's good, but taken against the clouds, it's like, well, I mean, it's just what, you know what I mean? It's, it's such a tiny fraction yeah, yeah. of the revenue. So it's kind of back to like, you know, the story I think is going forward is, is kind of the thing we've been talking about for a long time is that sure, like on-premise stuff will exist. There will always be stuff. And of course, let me also preface this to say, I know you can run OpenShift on the, all the major clouds for the most part. And like, yeah. I understand that's totally possible. So it's not, I'm not just trying to equate that, but it just shows you that like, you know, the, if you will, that 86 billion, let's use AWS annual run rate and like, okay, IBM got to 1 billion with OpenShift. It's like, okay, that's going to be a long time before IBM starts to get to that. Um, it doesn't mean it's a bad strategy. It just means that like, it's kind of a, it's, it really is different games. And I think, well, you know, go ahead. Oh, it's just, I was going to say, but like, let's not take away from the fact that like Red Hat has now done $2 billion open source companies. I mean, you know, they did Linux, you know, mm-hmm. they did RHEL and now they've done it with, with OpenShift. That's, that's impressive. And, and I, you know, I, I don't want to diminish like that accomplishment because, Nobody else is trying to p- play the pure open source game the way Red Hat has and continues to. And, you know, hopefully IBM, do- IBM doesn't appear to like, you know, want to change that process. That part of the business is, is still looking pretty sharp. You know, it's, it is open source and that's yeah. awesome. And your old, uh, you know, uh, CEO over at uh, Chef back in the day, right? Adam Jacob, I think he had a long Twitter thread about like, you know, sort of like why he thought Red Hat was so good at it. I will summarize all of Red Hat's success in the following. It's like, <laughs> I'm just going to say like, Red Hat is the exception that proves the rule absolutely cannot be replicated. It's like- That's not true. <laughs> like to me, that's that's where I'm going. That I'm just like, I don't think you can. I'm just like, there's just so many things have happened there. Obviously Linux being- the linchpin leading to OpenShift and now being a billion. It's like, I just think you can read all the stories. And I, and Adam Jacob wrote, wrote through the whole thing. I'll let you uh, explain to me why I'm wrong here in a second. It's just like, I, you know, I just don't think you can do it again. I don't, I just do not think you can create something. Uh, those conditions to create Red Hat will probably never exist again. Go ahead, Matt, tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are there. I mean, obviously you have companies um, you know, like uh, Elastic and, and and others who are monkeying around with their open source licenses where, you know, in my opinion, they're not really open source anymore. You know, when you start holding things back um, for, you know, for different players, but there are still some other pure play open source companies. Um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, Grafana folks, um, as far as I could tell, you know, they're not holding code back. You know, they, they're, they have moved some things into a Faro GPL, which is, you know, a little noxious, but um and you've got, you know, GitLab, they're still punching around and, and doing well, as far as I could tell, um, and ostensibly staying, you know, 100%-ish open source, as far as I know. Um, so I, I don't think, I think it's well established that open source is the future of everything. You know, I, I, I mean, as far as the infrastructure goes, you know, you know, we're talking about all this money that... Uh, the cloud vendors are making and most of it is a lot you know a lot of it is on the backs of open source you know it, it's it's linux workloads it's kubernetes it's you know 
databases as a service that are open source databases. Um, so open source is going to continue to be the fabric. Who monetizes it as successfully, how you do it. Um, I still think that there's, there's definitely a, a strong business model for pure open source. You know, you just have to, I mean, Red Hat's secret sauce is they're willing to just grind out the competition. And, <laughs> and, 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 and you know what? That is not sexy to VC. If you go and say, hey, check this out. Yeah, and make- let me be clear. I was let me clean, clean up my own statements. Like, yeah, for sure, open source is the future. For sure, open source companies can make money and stuff like that. I just don't know if they can get to the scale of Red Hat. Like all these companies, like making a billion dollars. I just think, you know, Red Hat doing it twice is just like, I mean, it it just feels like I. That's the part I feel like it's impossible to replicate in a traditional software model. Now, of course, yeah, taking open source software, packaging that up, running it as a service, being on the cloud, getting it on that. That's the future. I totally agree with that kind yeah. of stuff. And I think those companies are going to make money. I just think if you're starting a, if you're starting a company today and you're like, I'm going to make, be pure open source and I'm going to make my money through kind of the Red Hat, I'm call, let's call it the enterprise software selling model. Yeah. Uh, I just think that's really, really hard. Well, it, mean you can't run a great business. It's just but, but hard also, to get to it, a billion. If, if you said, I'm going to start an enterprise software company today. That's okay. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's like, open source or not, right? And you feel the like, VCs leaving the meeting, they're like, okay, we'll see you later. We're yeah, they're like, money. I'm gonna go sell that. software to enterprises and I'm gonna need some money. And they're like, How are you gonna differentiate yourself? And you're like, I'm gonna have a great sales team. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's why everyone goes open source, is because it at least gets you the attention. Yeah. And it gets you, you the build users. a community, it, it, right? It builds a funnel. Awareness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's you know, that's how you're going to get, and, you know, and, and yes, you may have a little startup that, you know, we don't really talk about closed source companies much. And it's not just because, you know, that's who we are. It's like, there's really not a lot of closed source stuff that be, you know, punches through the enterprise noise anymore. And, you know, how they differentiate themselves, you know, whatever. It's like, uh, I mean, cause you know, the, as you and I well know, there's, you know, 300 monitoring companies out there. Um, but the top 10 that people talk to, I, I mean, talk about, you know, probably six, seven of them have a open source component of some sort, you know, I mean, you still got, you know, app dynamics and the like, but, um, you know, they, they're, they're small in their markets, even though they're making a lot of money, you know, right. They're the, they're the iPhones to the Androids. Um, yeah. and, and so I think, I mean, open source is going to be the volume. It might not be all the money, but it's definitely going to be the volume. Yeah. And I guess that's kind of like, you know, you're in the middle of it. And I know, you know, Craig talked about it last week too. It's like, you know, you know, obviously that's the net, the thing that I guess all the open source companies are sort of navigating simultaneously is like, okay, well, if you're not part of the, you know, if you don't get acquired by AWS, GCP or, you know, Azure, and um, can you partner with them? Can you get on their, if you will, their platform so that you're available there, right? Or can you run a successful SaaS business yourself? Can you just host it yourself? And is that compelling enough? to do it. And I think, um, you know, the question though, I think, you know, back to like the open shift one is like, yeah, the traditional enterprise. So, although I, I don't know, Matt, I'd like, I'd be curious to know, it's like, uh, you know, for the longest time, somebody would always call up and ask, be like, no matter what you had, if it was open source and you're running it, yeah, we run as a source, people would be always like, there'd always be somebody asking, can we get it on premise? So are you still oh, getting yeah. that? I mean, you still getting that phone call, uh, at your new job. So, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, because you know, one of the advantages of of not running it, and you know, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Is like before I got to Kukas, I very rarely saw 
multi-cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of specialize in multi-cloud. <laughs> right. And so now, you know, I see customers who are like, are on three, four public clouds and on-prem. And, you know, it's just like, that's crazy, but, you know, that's your enterprise. And, um, you know, so so the advantage, you know, having an enterprise package that can be run on-prem is, you know, when the customer says, hey, I need to run it across, you know, three or four public clouds, you know, Amazon running something as a service generally isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, let us help you make sure it works well with GCP. You know, that's just, they don't care. Yeah, and they, they don't, care, don't really, right? you thing, know, right? mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, ingress fees. All right, now we care, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, so a lot of the customers who are multi-cloud are going to run it for themselves because they don't want to, you know, they the the cloud vendors aren't going to do that for them. Right, and right. and that's, like, that's the advantage of any of the SaaS is, is it's is, like, who's watching the watchers kind of thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, you're sort of, you don't want to be running that. Well, let me ask you this. Like, I don't know. Are we ever going to get to a point and maybe this site already exists. I should know if it does. It's like, has someone just taken like, um, like some like basic workload and then like, okay, almost like a, like a stock trader. Like you could be like, okay, here's what it costs to run this basic workload on these three clouds. And then like just, it kind of updates in real time as the, the prices go up and down. It's just like, okay, well, Turns out uh, someone says that, you know, it's almost like gas buddy, you know, like where, where to buy the cheapest gas is like, <laughs> can you just watch the like, well, turns out the Linux uh, boxes on this cloud are a little bit cheaper. Is it, I don't know. Has anyone gotten to that level or is it still all kind of behind the scenes? You got to do that based on your account and your discounts and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's funny. You should mention that. <laughs> Did you look at the new release of KubeCross that came out yesterday? <laughs> uh, I haven't yet. I mean, should, should I? Does it does it have like a nice little dashboard like that already? Built uh, no, I, we 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 have. Uh, it's our first uh, release with predictive cost. Okay. Um, and so you know, right now it's just saying, hey, if you deploy what you described, it's going to cost this much an hour. Um, okay. But you can definitely see like the roadmap for that is. Hey, what if I put it on AWS? What if I put it on, you know, US East One? What if I put it on US West Two? What if I put it on Azure? You know, so you can start yeah. doing the apples and oranges, and then, you know, that the 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 natural progression as as you know as a product manager is like, well, clearly I'm going to want to show dashboards, and I'm yeah. going to want to show like a, a you know a tooltip some point saying if you switch to Azure, you'll save you know four hundred dollars a week, and you know. People will, you know, that's just, you know, if, if you no, look at those sorts of predictive features, people want that kind of stuff. Yeah. I get these questions all the time too. It's like people kind of want to know what it's going to cost. And we have some tools like, like, every, like, you know, you have tools, we have tools and stuff. We can show it, but it's, it's almost like just a public website. Like literally you can just be like, yeah, like, cause no, I think that's what people are always looking for. Like a gut feel. Cause I mean, the problem is we both know the answer to these questions is always dependent on like your contracts, your workloads. And it's so custom that it's like, it's yeah. impossible to give Absolutely. you a legitimate answer without knowing more, but it, it is probably, it's like almost like the register of somebody or Corey Quinn or someone needs to do it because it's like, it would okay. be yeah. wrong. It wouldn't really be useful, but it would get a lot of traffic. People be like, Oh, look, <laughs> look, look how I can run this workload on. No, It'd be crazy. Yeah. Oh, over, over in FinOps Slack, that kind of question gets asked like every like two or three days, somebody mm-hmm. pops in and they're like, Hey, does anybody know a good way to compare the price of this versus that? And then, you know, people start coming out of the woodwork with, well, if you talk to your sales rep, you know, or it depends, or, you know, what's your, you know, there's just so many variables that go into that kind of stuff. You really kind of have to, you have to understand your model before you, you have to understand, you know, 
multiple cloud vendors and what you're running before you can make an informed decision. And by that point, you're usually pretty deep in your commitment to a particular cloud vendor. So you're probably not going to switch. Um, you know, Kubernetes makes it a lot easier to switch workloads, but even, you know, even at KubeCast, we see a lot of non-Kubernetes workloads. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you I, what the answer to this question is, because it's the answer to every question right now. It's <laughs> ChatGPT, right? Everyone <laughs> is simultaneously launching a ChatGPT offering, add-on, um, whatever, prompt uh, initiator. So I haven't done ChatGPT, but after this recording, I'm going to go ask ChatGPT to compare the cost of all the three clouds, and we're going to see what it does. <laughs> um, well, that, that's the beauty of ChatGPT uh, Chat is it's, it's bullshit as a service. It'll give you an answer. And, right. and, and you know what? We should just be like, it's probably right. We'll be like, it's, it's probably enough. right. It's like, what else? What else do we have? So my question is um, for you, Matt. Is like now. Let's get beyond. Like, so Microsoft. One, what a great week for the Microsoft uh, product manager or the Bing product manager. Like, you've been on Bing for like two decades. Nobody cares. Like, nobody even knows it exists. <laughs> it's like a ten billion dollar business, super successful. Roughly one tenth of what Google does. The only people that are using it, like, just are the people that forgot to change the default when they installed exactly. Windows. Right? Exactly. It. My, my, my Windows. I have a Windows box that I only play games on, and yeah. I open. And I you're turn just on like, the Edge oh yeah, browser, whatever. I'll and leave it's it. the default, and I'm like, you know, hey. Literally, that's uh, all that's left. And then out of nowhere, like a comment, you're like, whoa. ChatGPT shows up. Microsoft has this huge initiative. And then just, you know, I guess just the other day, they announced some, like, it's all being integrated. Although when I clicked on it, I couldn't actually use it. It was like, I guess it was coming soon. So, I, you know, that was like, that that made it actually feel more enterprise. Well, wasn't before, it, wasn't it uh, accidentally published? Like somebody flipped a feature flag and it went live for a while and then they right, flipped it Right, but I missed off. it, I guess. I didn't get to do uh, it. Like I went, then I went to Bing like, and I was like on Bing, I was searching. I was like, oh, this is just Bing. Like, this, is bo- <laughs> this is boring. Like there's nothing like, I don't even care about this. Um, and I was so disappointed, but I guess it's coming out. But I just think it's like, you got to think Microsoft, like you talk about loving it. It's just like, even if it doesn't lead to anything, just the fact they have annoyed Google, like after being just dominated in this industry for decades, like, you know, like uh, Google is quote unquote called the code red. I, I don't know. That just, it just seems ridiculous when I say that, but that's, I'm just repeating <laughs> what I read. Uh, but just the fact that Google is just, cause I, of course they have to, right? I mean, they have to be all over this. If, if somehow this was the thing to displace Google's, you know, monopoly or whatever, you know, incredibly profitable business on search, it would be a huge uh, blow to Google. So well, the fact and, that and Microsoft considering- is just annoying them. It's like, they must love it. Yeah, yeah. And considering Google laid off all their uh, AI ethicists, it's probably bodes well. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? So I, what I wanted to ask was like, okay, now that it's been out for a while, like what have you, have you done anything with it that you think has been useful, that has been helpful to you? I have no. three things I was going to mention <laughs> online that I, I, I thought I mean, were interesting. Yeah, I, I have done, um, I've let it write outlines for like blog posts and like, I let it do outlining and it's not that different from what I would have come up with, but it's faster. faster. It's just, you know, it's like, I was going to do this and you filled in, you know, the outline and now I still have to like put all the details and stuff. And, you know, these words are kind of, I don't know, they're, they're not that good. Um, So it's, it's bullshit as a service. It deals with like the tedium of a lot of things that, you know, 
you have to do to write something, you know, you still have to, you know, put pen to paper in this case, you know, somebody's already kind of sketched things in and, you know, you're still going to move things around and edit it up. And, and so I was like, I was having this conversation with, uh, with my son about, you know, uh, they've already banned it in the schools here, but of course, you know, the kids already know about it. And, uh, yeah, I was just like, like, look, the things that come out of it are wrong. If you assume that, you know, then you've read the material, you know, he was writing an essay for school stuff. It was like, if you've read the book, you know, what's wrong and you can come in and fix it. Some of the stuff might be right, but you need to understand, you know, you, you've moved from, you know, content creator to editor. And, you know, that's actually, that's a, a hard skill. And yeah. cause it, it assumes that you understand, you know, both the source material and how, how it needs to be described. Yeah. I don't know. Well, my yeah. son, so this, this, the three things I've seen it used for. So first, my son, credit to him, um, he has to do some essay next week. So he has asked his science teacher, has some kind of science essay. So he asked the science teacher that he was basically going to hand in two assignments. He wants to hand in the chat GPT assignment, and then he wants the science teacher to grade that, and then he's going to write it himself, right? And he's going to basically, and I guess the science teacher was interested in doing it. So I'm interested to see, uh, and I was told him, I was like, oof. Like, hold on now, you know, chat GPT is going to almost definitely produce like a hundred percent grammatically correct. That's, that can be tough, right? That is a tough bar. I mean, I think it's a tough bar for anyone. It's right? already so it's tough like, for all my kids. Yeah. I've listened. That's tough for me. I don't, I mean, so I think it's like to sit there. So I was like, you got to like, don't, don't kiss, you know, don't get too high. But I was like, you got to go in there and find some stuff where it's wrong. Right. Because that's where you're going to win, where it either doesn't go in depth or it's just flat out wrong. So, so I'm interested to see. So I actually like, like to me, it just seems like as a schools, it's like, you got to almost embrace it, right? It's almost use it as a tool. Be like, okay, here's like, I almost think as a teacher, you almost be like, okay, here's like, you would almost hand out an outline. All right. Like here's the chat GPT version. Let's go through and talk about why it's good and why it's bad. Right. Versus like, I think as soon as you pretend it doesn't exist, you're just, you're in deep, deep trouble. So, yeah. So I'll report back. Uh, I have personally used it. I find it if like, instead of going to stack overflow, just type it, ask chat GPT to do the thing you were trying to do. It's like, you know, chat, how could I like, especially Python it seems really good with Python. If you ask it to like do some <laughs> kind of like, uh, write a Python, uh, uh, program to do the following things. It will give you a very nice stub, right. Or sometimes it works. And then it also makes it real easy to copy paste it. And then from there you can go in and like make a few more edits. And I actually think that's actually better than stack overflow because your like, stack overflow is always like, you know, it's like, there's like one great answer than like 70 bad answers. So that one I've used, I assume it would do all that for like, uh, I haven't done anything like the config stuff. It's not something I touch like YAML. I assume it does all that stuff for YAML, but I just like, I don't want to, I have nothing to do with the YAML. I never do anything with that. So I just, oh, I don't know. Have you done out. that? Does it work? Does it work well for YAML? I, I, I mean, I don't even trust like Copilot. So, um, <laughs> so Emacs, no code completion. Just, just, well, no, no, no. Somebody, somebody did get Copilot working uh-huh. with Emacs. And okay. I, you know, I, I mean, I've seen some of that stuff. It's just like, I'm not generally writing stuff from from, from scratch, and, right. and so usually kind of you have their templates. Use that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and usually I'm going into existing code and you know reading through it and and trying to like follow it and make changes. And if you know you can't unleash AI on that because it'll you know <laughs> uh, it'll just like mess it. You know whatever sort of semblance of of rationale I had before is like now it's just gone, um, and. Anyway, I, I mean, so 
I think as a developer, it, it's it's great for templatizing stuff. Um, it, but I, I've seen lots of examples of of it. Uh, you know, very very um, authoritatively putting down something that was wrong. Yeah, certainly like <laughs> the facts and stuff like that. I think that for sure. Okay, the final one I've done was um, I wanted it to do like basically build me a workout routine, and I had I specified like here's the stuff like basically the workout material weights and stuff that I have in my garage. So that was sort of like oh, a okay. trait. It was like, and that actually was great. And then it gave me kind of like you know if I and I even said like how many days and stuff like that, and that was like perfect, right? Because it was sort of like yeah. Um, I didn't. Like, well, and, and there's a ton of material available for it to pull from, right? And yeah. so it's like, I mean, I mean, you know, I, I'm doing like you know marathon training stuff, and it's like there are a billion, you know, mar- you know, marathon training programs out there, and each one is, you know, oh, you run four days a week, oh, you run two days, you know, rest here, whatever. It's like if you gave me the average of all of them, it wouldn't, uh, you know, it wouldn't matter. It, it's it's you know, it, there's no right right answer. There's just, you know, this is fine. Yeah. Well, I think also the fact that it can customize to you. If you can put in parameters, you're like, I want to train this yeah. many days. And so it's like that exactly. part, I think, really good. So, so I mean, it's been fun. I mean, I, I ultimately think um, at the end, I think, Matt, I think this may disappoint everyone, but you especially. It's like, I do think in the end, the business model is going to be advertising again. Like, I think you're going to end up with something like you write the queries that we've been talking about. And then on the right-hand side, I think you're just going to see another AI read the generated text of the AI of ChatGPT and say, okay, for people that are asking this kind of stuff, here's the thing that we, here's the thing that's most relevant that we'd mm-hmm. like you to buy. Right. And I think, um, which I don't or, know, or, or, or even worse, um, you know, advertising insertion into the responses where, you know, yeah, you're I think like, that part will get, you know, yeah. <laughs> Cause you're asking thing. like, Oh, I want a workout routine. And they're like, you know, have you, have you tried CrossFit? Yeah. Like, do they put it right in there? Right. I think that's, um, yeah, that's going to be real. I think that, you, you know, know, the subtlety, we recommend like, you take your Nike branded, you know, shoes and you run, you know, yeah, here I think and, that's true. I think that will be the hard part of it, but that seems, I mean, you know, we're just, we're kind of doing the thing I don't like. We're kind of applying what we know and current business models to something new. So maybe there'll be something else, but it does feel like because advertising has the ability to get kind of like infinitely big and most things end this way, but happy to be wrong on that. A hundred percent happy to be wrong on that. Yeah. There, now, it's um, not going to be a duck, duck go of, of chat GPT. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see now uh, to come back to, uh, we asked an earlier question, uh, um, can Chad GPT compare AWS to Azure? So one of uh, the listeners here while we're streaming, he they did it. So the prompt was, uh, hey, Chad GPT, please compare running my workload on AWS versus Azure. And the response was, Chad GPT is at capacity right now. So there you go. So, there, you know, it's, uh, so we have plenty of work to do. Maybe Chad GPT can uh, call Matt and they can get better pricing and they can spin up some more clusters because... Uh, Clearly, they're running out of money. So, all right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, send us, you know, join us in Slack. Uh, I like seeing what are interesting examples. And I have seen a lot of people have given uh, examples of better prompts. So that is something worth, yeah. like, there there's, are a million a examples of-, of how to write prompts for G- ChatGPT. I would just say read one of them, and you do suddenly get, like, 10 times better once you learn how to do the prompting a little sure. bit better. So. All right. Well, the other one, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, monitoring. And uh, this is, I mean, this is not a software-defined talk story. I don't know what it is. So uh, Datadog, uh, the claim is that uh, Datadog asked the developer not to submit a pull request uh, for open telemetry. 
And so there was a bunch of, uh, I guess I'll give you the full headline here. Datadog allegedly asked developer to kill open source data export tool um, for open telemetry. So it looked like what happened here. And there's a nice article, fun article in the registry, uh, register about this. And so what happened was, it, it sounds like, uh, and I'm just going to use uh, his uh, GitHub name, Boost Chicken. That's it. Boost Chicken had uh, submitted a pull request to essentially allow you to export data from Datadog. And then he uh, went and said, and uh, I guess removed the pull request you know, and said, didn't want to do it. And then there was a whole bunch of questions about why. So he came out and he said that Datadog did ask him to, to pull the pull request. Now, Charity Majors, she's the CEO of Honeycomb, basically uh, called this out and said, This a, a data is not dog right. Competitor. Yeah, and a competitor said it's not right that Datadog is uh, essentially, you know, if you will, uh, telling their customers to use open telemetry, but it, they basically want it to be one way. Um, who would have seen this coming, Matt? Uh, a, a software company only wanting to suck in the data, not give the data out, right? So this Shocked. came on for a while. And then there was like some allegations about, well, what did Datadog do to incent the developer? In yeah, the that, that was kind of left out. And yeah, that well, was Boost my question. Was like, the yeah. question is, did Boost Chicken get money to pull the pull request? Now, Boost Chicken says that that did not happen, that it was professional courtesy. They asked him to, to take it out. He said he could have pushed back, but he felt like out of professional courtesy that the vendor said not to do it. So he pulled it out and said, I didn't want to submit it. Then when he was then asked, and then uh, I guess uh, Charity Majors and uh, the, her company, Honeycomb, sponsored it. So they basically said, hey, would you, would you actually resubmit the pull request? And he said they thought about it, and he said it made sense. They were sponsoring the work. So he put it back in, and all is good now. It has been uh, incorporated into the API. So good news for everyone. looks like you can get uh, your data out of Datadog now using the API. So yeah. Um, who did that? Uh, uh, How do we grade this correction? Wrong? Do we, do, you know, go ahead. Go right ahead. Uh, it was Grafana. Grafana, Grafana? Paid, paid for him to do the work. My apologies. My apologies. You're right. That was in there. So we had, we had, yeah. we got really the three big ones. So we got, uh, yeah, another, Grafana, you know, yet, yet all, another monitoring company. Um, all I mean, they were all involved. And of course, the two of them were like, hey, let's get that data out of there. All right. So I think, sh- should we right here? So Boost Chicken says, that he just did this on his own. There was no, there was no money. So no I don't course. know, I guess yeah. in the end, I don't know if we can blame him. He, he wrote the code. It's up to him whether to submit it or not. I mean, it doesn't sound like there was any actual money changing hands that we know about. So I don't know what we would say there. I, I think we'd just say next time, uh, boost chicken, just stick to your guns, you know, flap your wings a little bit. Just like, <laughs> just if, if you've done the work, why not just put it in? Like, like, does it matter? But I don't know. I don't. If someone uh, yeah. comes to you, you're the open source guy. If I came to you and I said, Matt, uh, I'm the vendor for this thing. I would prefer that you don't um, issue this, uh, make this addition. W- what would you do? Would you like ask questions? Would you tell them? I would to ask go questions. Pound, pound? Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I'm 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 the sort of pot star who would probably ask questions. And then, um, if I chose to close the issue, I would write why. That's the okay. thing is like, he just kind of like, you know, ghosted his own PR and, you know, closed it and walked away without really explaining it. And it's like, you know, because, because then, you know, if, if you're like, well, you know, they asked me not to do this, you know, some other knucklehead's got to take your PR and remerge it. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, why? That's what I would have done. I was like, why didn't someone exactly. just j- jump on it and say, so, yeah, so yeah. So I think, you know, Opatel has a lot of, you know, they've got a lot of PRs coming and going. And so it probably, you know, he probably quietly made this PR, 
quietly closed it. And in the noise of, of day to day, it just got, you know, glossed over. Um, but, you know, and a, and a less active project, it would probably draw more attention. Now, I like, here's this official statement to the register. This is Boost Chicken. Quote, I owe the community an apology on this one. I lacked the courage of my convictions. And when push came to shove and I had to make the hard choice, I took the easy way out. I think it's okay, Boost Chicken. I don't know. Maybe we've <laughs> all been there. We've all made a point. Actually, none of us have been there. I haven't been there. I've never made done a bunch of work and then submitted it. And then it's, I would have been like, no way, man. Once I've done real work, I want it to actually be submitted. So, um, <laughs> wait, 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 Brandon. You work in the enterprise. That happens all the time. You do real work true. that goes nowhere. Well, that's well different topic. We'd be on. Um, so I think, you know, that's okay, Boost Chicken. We forgive you. I think it, it sounds like it got merged. I guess we need to give uh, kudos to, uh, I guess, um, not not honeycomb. Well, I guess honeycomb brought it up, and then you said Grafana. Yeah. So Gra- Gravana. I mean, everybody off, who who made it happen made it yeah. happen. That's good. And I guess we just we we like Data Dog, but we have to say Bad Dog. That was that's not good. Like I don't know what they did. They needed the the purple dog. We'll have to go go in the cage, right? Go in uh, his crate for a little bit, walk around, and you know think about what they did wrong and why and how they cannot make this mistake again. It's not good. Well, they shouldn't have done that. And and, and chances are really good it was not an on high kind of thing it was probably just someone who was like you know maybe i mean i i have no idea who who made the request but it, it wasn't it probably wasn't even a high level request it was probably just like hey could you uh you know we're not ready for that or something like that and it you know i, I could just see this game of of you know telephone happening where um you know something gets misconstrued into like, you know, don't do that. And like, eh, maybe they were just like, give us, I just want to believe there's like, there's a person, the CEO of data dogs, like, Hey, you got to get control of boost chicken. Boost chicken's out here just going crazy. uh, (laughs) making a pull request. Like I want to believe that happened, but of course we know that didn't happen. Well, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll look for it in the sec filing. Listen, we, we know collectively, we know a bunch of people at data dog, very successful. If anything, we're just jealous that they're so successful because we were in this industry (laughs) a million times and we can never achieve a level of success. So if somebody data dog wants to reach out, give us their side or, or what's going on, happy to uh figure it out but in general we're like matt you and i the one thing we're we i think we adamantly agree on is like yes all the monitoring api should be supported uh good and bad right please please for everyone working in monitoring i know it's not observability now but just old school like everyone should get access to the data make it easy because if you don't we're all stuck with snp mibs and it's just bad Cote's <laughs> in there he's bitter people are quitting it's just give us some nice apis that's what we all want there um all right matt uh final thing couple things i wanted to talk about and then we'll get out of here one one was uh i just wanted to just shout out the cloudcast podcast which i feel like we're doing that every episode this week's episode uh it was a sunday conversation and what is it let's see what is the uh, official title it's quote everybody gets fired eventually it's uh brian graceley i think it's a good 30 minutes just some fantastic stories about uh being fired, firing, dismissals, and things like that. It's the kind of real-world discussion that I think, frankly, doesn't happen. Uh, it was just fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I don't know, yep, other stuff. than to say, it's like I, maybe it's a little bit of therapy, but it's also, I know you and I, Matt, we've traded stories. We won't do it on the podcast, but Brian actually tells some funny, funny stories that are kind of personal, and I think it's the kind of stuff we probably should do more of. Like, I guess I will summarize it this way. He kind of highlights 
Um, people are let go all the time for crazy reasons that have nothing to do with anything. And it happens all the time. We don't talk about it. I think we all kind of pretend everything is like a fair world and things like that, but that doesn't always work out. So listen to that one. I think it's really good. And then Matt, I wanted some advice from you. I just, some, yes. some quick uh, advice. I am still rocking the old Intel Mac. Okay. Oh, wow. And I want to finally move into the real world with the rest of us and, and get, you know, on the new Macs with all the, the great CPUs. Now, I on this Mac, Mac I got, I got 32 gigs of RAM and oh, I've wow. loved it. I felt like this, this has been great. Now, from what I'm seeing though, all these Macs, now everyone's basically getting 16 gigs. I know you can get it with more. But then I've been you know, watching YouTube and stuff like that. People are basically saying it doesn't matter. Like all the benchmarks, like 1632, because the SSDs have gotten so fast, right? That it's essentially, right. if you have to swap, it's like, it's not a big deal to swap out. So I still feel anxious about this stuff. I don't think, <laughs> I never want to go back and RAM. I never want, no, now what's funny no. is like, I don't even know on my iPhones, all the iPhones, I'd really never know how much RAM's in the iPhones. I don't even think about it, right? When I just buy yep. it, I just buy it. So I want you to help me. Like, should, is, is my RAM anxiety justified here? Should I, should I go 32? Should I go more? Or is it really just a waste of money? Am I throwing $400 down the proverbial toilet if I upgrade the RAM? Um, I, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, I've got, I've got an M1, um, you know, the, the first generation uh, MacBook Air. I've got 16 gigs. Uh, there, I can't really think of occurrences of, of, of times where I've been like, oh, I wish I had more RAM. It, it, it doesn't really seem to affect me. Um, you know, I do some, some light video editing, some, you know, some podcast editing. Uh, I don't really play games. Um, I, my gaming box is it's a, an AMD system with 32 gigs of RAM. That feels like overkill um, just because that machine, you know, I, I use it for, for, for Docker builds and Windows and games. <laughs> that's, that's what that AMD box is for. Um, but, you know, that, that one's a beast. But like day to day, I'm, I'm on this, this laptop and I never really notice. Now, uh, I have spent some time on an 8 gig system and that definitely feels constrained. All right, so, so 16, uh, 16, 16 is, really is, is a freeing is effect. Fine. You don't really need yeah. a 32 if, unless you um, just have money to waste. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, probably in, you know, two years or something when I go to replace it, maybe 32 will be standard. Um, you know, and and like I'm building my son a, a new gaming box uh, in, a, in a while and I'll probably replace it with another 32 for games. But I don't I don't really think. You're you're not really using that much memory most of the time. I mean, you know, you gotta close Chrome occasionally, but uh, <laughs> that's just because it's a pig. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Well, okay, that's good to know. All right, we'll see if I can actually do it. I just I don't know. There's something you know. I guess when we switch the chips. You know, I, I, I mean, because because you're talking like, was that a quarter of the price? You know. Another, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this whole thing, premium? Apple could just be, you know. You know, this is the one place of where it's it's hard to love Apple. It's like you know, like they're making so much money on this. Like, like the up the RAM. I mean, you talk about pure profit. I don't know what the RAM actually cost them. I mean, I gotta it's think the markup much. is yeah. like you know three hundred percent. So it's like well, and and it's soldered on. So you know, the RAM. Yeah, and you can't the, do anything, the, right? And the storage, yeah. the storage is also not upgradable. So. Don't go under five twelve. I can definitely yeah, no, say that, that for sure, and I get that. Yeah. And that I, you definitely got to go bigger on the hard drive. But like, the I mean, I, I I've got five twelve, and it feels 
constrained at times. I mean, I'm always, yeah, no, I think one terabyte, gotta go one terabyte. That, uh, that I'm going to do for sure, but we'll see. All right. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you, I want to get your opinion on is, uh, you know, I feel like I just rediscover this every year or two. Every time I want to do something on like more Linux, I just download the Docker, you know, or or I guess the container through Docker desktop of the thing I want. And, uh, my next, uh, Mac, that's what I think I'm going to do. It's like, I'm not going to install. I want like I want nothing, nothing on the command line, none of the packages, no homebrew, none of this. Like it just feels like that stuff just rots immediately. I can never keep it up. I always have the wrong thing installed. I feel like the containers. I I feel like the containers. Like this is the best use of containers to me. It's just like running these things on my desktop and keeping them clean. Now, but you were talking in Slack. I was wondering, you have not. Have you embraced this? Are you a container first on the desktop person, or are you no. still installing everything? On your no, machine? no, no. I mean, I I, I definitely use Homebrew. I, I upgraded uh, to Ventura this week, and mm-hmm. you know had to to refresh a bunch of Homebrew stuff. But uh, no, Do you know I, what I the still... homebrew meant? Like when the homebrew log messages start kicking out, like, I mean, I, I'm just like, I, I feel insecure, I guess. Like, I feel like my system is just <laughs> becoming like, there are so many things. And then it starts like going to dependency to dependency. I'm like, feels wrong. It feels like, but, I but, made but it is poor all... choices. It's, it's, it, you know, if you, if you spend some time to dig into homebrew, you realize it's, it's isolated itself into like, slash op seller or something like that so it's it's fairly self-contained it's not messing with other things it's it throws a couple of sim links into your path but it's it's its own little niche right and so it's it's not messing with the rest of mac os and that's it's fine it actually is fine you know because a lot of the a lot of the cli tools that come with mac os are dated or you know they're weird versions or something but um so i i still think as a developer homebrew is essential um i but like I said, I, I do have this AMD box that you know I bring in because uh, I've been building containers this week, and it takes it takes three minutes to build the the ARM container, and it takes uh, thirteen minutes to build the x eighty six container. And so I'm like, you know, I mean, first off, that's still awesome that I can build containers cross platform. I, I, that still just blows my mind um, <laughs> without having to be on the platform. But you know, I don't want to wait thirteen minutes for anything. You yeah, know, and if I turn off the test, it drops to six, but still. <laughs> All right, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying. I just homebrew. I'm, I don't know. I, it, it's not that it's not good. It, it plays a role. I agree with you, but I'm just sort of like, every time I look at it, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Well, because, like because you, you know, you, you need that because you're probably not going to go to Linux on the desktop. You know, definitely. And, I am definitely and, not 100%. This is not the year of the Linux desktop for me. I am definitely not going. No, for me, this is the year of Linux under the desk top. All right. Well, I'm getting some uh, feedback in the, in the stream chat here. It's like people are definitely homebrew is still essential. Okay. All right. So maybe, maybe I'm going too far when I say and get rid of that. Um, all right. Well, one final thing I want to call out and we'll get to uh, all the minutiae here is uh, I just think we have our early front runner for side of the year, this FTX slide, which is, I guess, built by the, uh, the CEO that's taken over from bankruptcy. It's fantastic. It literally is fantastic. I'll just describe it and then everyone can look at it. It's uh, some like essentially account setting code. Basically, <laughs> if um, and it, it basically just shows, I'm laughing because I'm um, looking at it. <laughs> uh, you maybe everyone should just look at it. It's like uh, can withdraw below borrow equals true. It's basically, there's just this flag in there that says like can you borrow if you don't have any money and then it's when it's set to true uh yeah you can have a net negative balance and then for alameda research 
<laughs> which was the uh, investment arm, I guess, of FTX. Um, the I guess the limit was set to sixty-five billion, and I was like, I, "Have we ever seen like such simple code um, lead to like I don't know bigger losses or just bigger? I don't know what to call this other than just fraud." So it's crazy. It's just crazy to see it in a PowerPoint. And kudos to um, the person that put this together. I just think it's it's absolutely mind-boggling and exists. So if you want a, a little chuckle. Uh, and of course, you didn't have money in FTX. And you didn't lose all your money, so I don't, hopefully that didn't happen. I, so I feel mode. bad for you. Um, check out that uh, specific slide. Um, the other thing I want to call out is uh, we did have some people mail in for stickers. I was a little backed up. The mail still worked, but I was unable to actually mail stickers for a few days. But I got out there. We did it. So I sent stickers to Dominic in Italy and uh, uh, and Matt. I guess his name is Matt, and it was in uh, what. Uh, New South Wales, or was it NSW Australia? <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't you, but it was a different one. So uh, yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I got on the mail room. The mail room really broke down. weren't You know, they weren't ready uh, for the the weather. But we got the stickers out. Hopefully, everyone will get it. If you like a sticker, all you have to do is email your postal address to stickers at softwarefinetalk.com. I'll be happy to mail you a sticker anywhere in the world. Also, in uh, some nonsense links, you should read about the King of Kong controversy. Evidently. Could be the uh, Donkey Kong high score that's uh, official. Sounds like some type of illicit joystick modification went down. And uh, shout out to Aaron Delp. He, he's uh, one of the co-hosts of uh, the Cloudcast. He's got a whole bunch of stuff in Slack he told me about. He's like, yeah. He said he saw it right away in the documentary. So, yeah. So, so that's about <laughs> as nerdy as we can get. So, the King oh, of the, Kong. That's a great, it's a great documentary. It, it is. It, it is, is a so great. It, it is like the characters in there are crazy. So, the fact that there was cheating going on in Donkey Kong does not shock me at all. That's not. I'm not yes. surprised to hear that. But it's a, a fun read. Uh, so, some conferences coming up. It looks like... Uh, the next one will be State of OpenCon. That's going to be in London. That's on February 7th and 8th. So you have to go back in time. You got, yeah, have to, you have to go right, right now. That, so that one's going to be done. Um, the one, I think the, the big one, I think, is the Southern California Linux Expo. Expo. You're going to be there, you know right, it. Matt? You and Kote are going to yeah, be there? Yeah, uh, I'll right. be there. I'll be working the OpenCost slash KubeCost booth, and uh, I've got to talk. Okay, well, there are a couple of discount codes I got in here. One is uh, DevOp, uh, all caps. That gives you some kind of deal. And it looks like there's another one, Speak. So uh, I don't know. Matt yeah, that's our, our speaker our speaker discount. So well, there you uh, go. I think Kote no, put that in there. I, you know, email. It might listen, be even bigger. Who knows? I don't know what it is. If you if you use that or abuse that code, everyone just email Kote directly. Tell him that it's his fault. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully you guys can do some type of live recording. I don't know. You yeah. do something fun. If nothing else, you can buy people drinks. That's always simple. Very simple to do. Uh, there's uh, DevOps Days Birmingham, Alabama, of course. That's April 20th and 21st. And then there's going to be DevOps Days Austin which is uh, May 4th and 5th. Not that far away, Matt. Actually, not that far. So check out all of those conferences. Now, Matt, uh, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, so I haven't I haven't kicked the tires on it just yet, but uh, yesterday my, my uh, Kickstarter for the Star 5 Vision, uh, what's this thing called? The Star 5 Vision 5 V2 showed up. There we go. I'm excited. You know what that is? It's a risk. It's a, a risk five system. So uh, I got my first new toy to play with. Um, All right. Explain to everyone so people know risk. Is it risk V or risk five? Is that how do you say it? Like, I is think it's it, risk uh, five. All right, so explain to everyone real quick what that is. So if they don't, in, um, in case they haven't listened to all the episodes. <laughs> all right. So you know what x86 is. 
you know what you know you probably know what arm is it's a different instruction set uh risk five is uh is um uh kind of a, an open source instruction set architecture um based off of the old risk architecture that uh got um made freely available without licensing encumbrance which arm is kind of open source they license it out to everybody but uh, you still have to kick some of that money back to the ARM Foundation and there's licensing about what you can and cannot do. Risk five is uh, more of a, uh, it's, it's a lot more of an Apache kind of license where it's like, hey, go nuts with it. And so they, they're, um, it's currently slower than ARM, but uh, the future is looking bright because um, when people don't have to pay licensing fees, they're more willing to try crazy things with things. So uh We'll see how this turns out. So it, it's it's not particularly fast yet, but uh, you know we said that about the the Raspberry Pi, and now everybody's running on Graviton. So there That's you are. Right. Everyone loves ARM. So yeah, I think we made, uh, or maybe you did, uh, the longstanding prediction here that uh, RISC Five will be the next thing that Apple goes to, right? Because then they would have basically no. They, they got um, no ways to go. They're the kings of ARM right now. So sure, but I'm uh, saying like ten years from now, we'll probably be talking about like. Ugh, Think and I, gotta, I, I think we got to get off gotta, these arm chips and all this yeah. licensing. We got to get to and and of course, like risk five. Hopefully, we're saying it right. Um, will be like super fast by then, right? They'll be like, oh yeah, and it exactly. does all this new stuff, right? So, uh, all right. So, so in ten years when that happens, you know, Matt Ray, you, you can tell everyone that you saw it coming. So that's uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not exactly out on a limb. I mean, the, I'm, there's a lot of people saying it's coming, and there hey man are... you gotta own this corner this is your world this all is, right you've been on this from the beginning you know the absolute beginning you're you're out yeah. there you're the risk five no, no, no. Uh, i mean I, I i like to i like to play with weird hardware and so this one is uh uh apparently debian kind of works and arch might work so i'm gonna be wasting a lot of time reading how to get esoteric <laughs> hardware to work so i can put it on a shelf that's right. Well, Matt Ray, you do you. Always, you do you. Uh, my recommendation, decidedly different. Uh, it's this tiny little app called Mirror. Have you ever used this one, Matt? You know what I'm talking about? Hand Mirror mm-hmm. on the Mac. So it's like all it is is a little, um, if you will, it sits up in your menu bar and you just click it and it'll just pop up your webcam. So it's like a mirror. So you can just kind of check it's working and that, you know, that it sees you. And like, so like right before I use it, like if you're getting on web calls or you're getting on something, you want to check your camera, make sure that you look good and the camera's working. You just press it and it just sees it. So it's a simple, simple app, but it's amazingly useful. Yeah, but it's, it's, it is. It's like you don't have to boot up Photobooth. You just hit this little thing there, and it's like, boom, it works perfectly. So right. if you're on a lot of web calls or you just want to kind of see yourself, make sure your camera's working, check out Hand Mirror. It's a really, really handy app. Okay, well, this is uh, episode 400. Matt, you know, play the music. This is our big, uh, it's an incredible <laughs> milestone. Do you, want, is, do you have something <laughs> profound you want to say about 400? Uh, 400 is, is better than 300. Well said, Matt. I couldn't have said it better myself. So if you would like to see the show notes from this, you go to www.softwaredefinedtalk.com slash what, Matt? What, what will the episode number be for this? Any guesses? 400. Incredible. I can't believe you, I cannot believe you got it. So just slash 400. You can read, uh, all the articles we referenced this and we have a ton of articles we didn't get to this week. There's just too much. We we're a little backed up. So there's tons of stuff you can read about all kinds of craziness, some nonsense, and you can also read some uh, links from Cote and it's, there's tons of fun in there. So with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye. That, that's how I make the cold open colder. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.